Andrew Kraft, an amazing interview full of such insight. And gosh, I wish I had him around as I was moving up through my career. This advice he's about to give you is so amazing, but I will tell you, I believe it to be true. And he talks about when you are moving through your career, never ask who you are employed by. What do you need to move up that ladder? Oh my. (laughs) Because as soon as you check the box, then they raise that rung on that ladder and forever you are frustrated. I have spoken to a lot of individuals that validate what Andrew talks about. When they are in service to others, they just want to do good work. They have the impact they want to make on the world. They have a vision. They find that over time, they are pulled into their next role by the environment, by an advocate, perhaps another company, versus the constant grind and push to try to check the box and not have control of your career. An amazing interview. Love the fact that I know Andrew Kraft from my curling community, though we never get into that conversation, but an amazing person from that community, a great leader with sound insight. Let's listen. The biggest mistake that early professionals make, whether they're fresh out of school or they're coming into an industry, is to ask themselves the question, what do I need to do to earn a promotion? What do I need to do to get the next title? That is the wrong question. It is never the right question because what that is saying is when will I be good enough for someone else to recognize me? And that puts the onus of your job satisfaction, therefore your job performance in someone else's hands, and you are at someone else's mercy. And therefore, you naturally, the human nature is not to go that extra mile. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am grateful you've joined me for another episode of this podcast where I have the distinct pleasure of finding amazing leaders to bring their insights and perhaps inspiration to you. And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And just know on a personal note, I sincerely want to help the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And now I'm honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Andrew Kraft. Andrew is the Chief Operating Officer of the Arena Group and previously their Chief Revenue Officer and Chief Venture Officer. And prior to his time at Arena, he was the utility infielder on the executive team of AppNexus, which was acquired by AT&T as part of Xandra for seven years. He has previously had roles of Head of Business and Corporate Development, also the co-founder of the company's publisher business, Global Head of Ad Sales and Interim Chief Financial Officer. 
also previously Senior Vice President AMP in Publishing Solutions for Collective, where he led business development for the company's audience management and monetization platform, as well as Head of Revenue and Member Services for the Interactive Advertising Bureau. And even before that, amazing. MIT studied physics and theater. He lives with his family in Hillsboro, spends summers slow cooking Texas barbecue, wintering and curling tournaments. We're going to go there. And I just want to give Andrew a heartfelt welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. And so for my listeners, Andrew and I know each other from the glorious curling community way back in New Jersey. We met at the Plainfield Curling Club. We're going to go there a little bit, but also he is a C-suite leader who has had an amazing journey and he's going to have some amazing insights that may help you with your career. So Andrew, it's my pleasure. Just share a bit about yourself personally, professionally, and the work that you're doing now. Great. Thank you. You know, it all goes back to my college experience where I got into MIT. I wanted to be a double major between physics and theater because I wanted to remake Carl Sagan's Cosmos back in the day. That was what I was passionate about, was communicating science. And then I realized that someone has to be a person smart enough to get into MIT, but the dumbest of the people smart enough to get into MIT. And that would be me. And that's why I eventually dropped out of college. But it it taught me a super important lesson. And that really transformed my whole career, which is I'm not dumb. And if I'm in a room of people smarter than me, that's a good room to be in. And so I stopped looking for rooms where I was the smartest person. And I started looking for rooms where I was the dumbest person. I brought other tools to the table, but that really started my path. You know, I I started my career at Sapient, where I learned, I started as an engineer, moved into the sales side rather quickly because I was that rare engineer who could communicate pretty well because of my theater background. And once again, everyone was incredibly brilliant. I brought the communications function in. Right. Then I, you know, I I did some startups. I worked at some associations. Once again, surrounded by some of the best minds in the industry, I was able to bring my facilitation and connective tissue to the table. Wound up at, at a company called IAB at the Interactive Advertising Bureau, where I really sort of got my foothold in the ad industry and then went to collective where I launched several businesses. From there at AppNexus, you know, I, I say utility infielder on the team because that ability to enter a room where other people are brilliant at what they do, help organize them, help communicate to them, help drive them together towards a goal, had me jumping in and roll after roll after roll, startup role, fill in role. I, you know, I, I started as head of biz dev, but I was original, I, you know, I wound up being acting CFO. I had no finance background whatsoever, but I could organize the incredibly smart people in the finance department and help them see a common vision. What one of my mentors says, inspire people to a vision and then inspect that they do what they say they're going to do. That's one of my mantras, inspire and inspect. Now. And that all, you know, through that process really led me here to the arena group where my first time as COO, but what made it 
possible for me to be the COO that I am is that I've been able to take all the disparate roles that I've had, engineer, salesperson, sales leader, CF, acting CFO, not full CFO, acting CFO, head of business operations, all the various groups on, on, you know, head of services, head of ad sales, all of those different things come together and allow me to understand all the parts of the business. Not better than the people who run those parts of the business. Those people are amazing, brilliant leaders in their own right. An amazing CRO and Avi Zimak, you know, an amazing head of media in, in Rob Barrett and certainly our, you know, my mentor and guide and friend, Ross Levinson, who's our CEO. I don't need to be better at any of them at what they do, but because of my background, I can understand, guide and connect and go, have you thought about this? Here's how the pieces connect. And that journey of being willing to try other things, do other things and use my strength, which is connecting people, guiding people and communicating. That's how I got where I am today. So such a great story. And I'm smiling on so many levels here. But one of the things that you said, and I want to like reframe it back to you that you realized you kept saying, I don't know this. I don't know this. I may not be the smartest person in the room. I'm not the best at all of these things, but I know how to, you know, communicate, connect and guide and organize all of these characteristics. I would like put it back to you and change your mindset a little bit. You are the best person in the room to do the communication, the connection, the guidance and the organization. Those are your powers. I agree. And that's what I mean when I say I bring others, other things to the table, right? When I meet with our editorial teams, I don't bring to the table how to be great at editorial work. I do bring to the table how to communicate well and how to, how to make sure we're driving towards a common goal. You know, our, our business intelligence team reports have been to me. We have one of the most brilliant leaders, Sushi Lee in, in BI running that group. And everything we do at the arena group is data driven. So it's a critical role. And that team was doing amazing work, but nobody knew what they were doing. And so I was able to work with that team to communicate a way of sharing what they do. You know, it's interesting. I actually coach high school kids in the same topic. There's a local robotics organization. Well, it's actually a global one, but there's a local chapter of it called First Robotics. And it's a great program for high school kids where they build a robot, but even more so, many programs support STEM throughout the community and they write a speech and compete. It's called the Chairman's Award as speech givers on what they're doing. And it's a speech competition as well. And I coach the speech givers. And I always say the key to communicating is the three C's, connect, convey, and close, right? And everything I do, every time I communicate, I try and connect then I convey what I want to convey, and then I close. And if you listen to all of the great speeches of all time, from the Gettysburg Address to I Have a Dream, you'll hear that pattern in there. They connect with the audience. We're all here together. The St. Crispin's Day speech from Shakespeare, we're all here together, which is paraphrased, by the way, as the president's speech in Independence Day, right before the big battle. He basically, word for word, does the St. Crispin's Day speech. He connects saying, we are all here together. Here's how we're here together. And he conveys, this is how we're going to do this. And then he closes with something pithy that people are going to remember. 
And that is is key, even in one-on-one communications, is making sure you do that. Because it follows to another thing that I always say. It is the responsibility of the communicator to be understood, not the communicatee to understand. And which means that as I'm communicating and as I'm getting these groups to talk to each other, I need to make sure they understand my obligation is that I make sure they understand what I mean. Their obligation is actually not to understand what what I mean. And so I have to overcome that. And if I think of it that way, I wind up communicating well because I'm never misunderstood or rarely misunderstood. So there are so many insights. I do hope our listeners have been taking so many notes. You know, when you talk about the connect, convey, and close, it is all about connecting with humanity. We want to, by having this moment in time, have some kind of inspiration, influence, or a change of mindset and understanding that it's not about me, it's about them. How can I make sure my message is clearly understood? Changes the way we deliver, especially maybe for technical or STEM professionals. We need to go to the other side and really understand what language, what do they want to hear? What does resonate? So really really great insights. Now, I have to ask you a question because through and through, you kept saying, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I know how to do this. So often people will self-select out. They won't apply for a job, put their, uh, raise their hand to do volunteer because they don't have that particular certification. You can't check the box. Sometimes when you interview, people won't consider you because you haven't checked the box. What was it about your mindset? Because I want our listeners to understand how you just had a can-do attitude versus saying, well, I'm not the smartest room. I don't think I should raise my hand to do that thing. What was it about you, your upbringing, or your mindset? So I want to clarify something. When I say I'm not the smartest one in the room, that's not a knock on me because I'm in a room with really smart people, right? It's actually lifting them up. And I think that's you know, some people call it servant leadership. I think that goes a little too far. I'm actually not a fan of pure servant leadership because in pure servant leadership, what lifting everybody else up is where you get the fulfillment. I actually get the fulfillment of having lifted everybody up. They reach down and lift me up with them. That's where I get my fulfillment. Oh, and when that happens, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like, oh, they're lifting me up. They're They're showing me stuff. And I come away with new skills as a result of this engagement. Exactly. So to me, I actually seek rooms where I'm the dumbest one. That's not a knock on me for being dumb. And I think that's the difference. When I talk to people who let, you know, hey, they're not as smart as me, they're not as good as me, get in the way, they're looking at other people being great as a way to push themselves down. I saw other people being great as a way to to empower them so they can pull me up with them and doing my part in my work. So I think that is a big piece. It's that mindset. There's this concept I learned in some leadership training that this really calls to. It's the concept of context. Context is your inner monologue. It's what you mean. I can say, you know, go to hell to someone and mean something really negative, or it could be the way I greet my best friend, right? Depending on what I mean in the back of my head, the words, the same words have different meanings. And we have a context at every point in time in our life. The question is, do we pick our context or or does our context pick us? We'll keep going, keep going. And so 
people who who let themselves feel like they're lesser because other people are good are letting the context pick them right versus letting them pick their context for me my context could be i'm i'm not as smart as these people so i shouldn't try that could be a context instead the context is i'm smart these people are smarter i want to learn from them i want to be in a room with them and i have a context for everything that i do and it's really easy for people in in people formerly known as hr to say my job is to take care of our employees that's actually not the job of hr right the job of hr is to protect the company by taking care of employees right and it's a subtle but important difference right the the job of my context for my role is to make sure that my ceo and the leadership team is as successful as they can possibly be by taking care of everybody else in the company with information and structure. That's my context for my job. And if you have a context and you relay it, you can get the role that you're not quite qualified for because they want someone like you there. I mean, Andrew, I can so relate to that. And I have the good fortune for a particular assignment. I'm a fractional chief operating officer, but I don't know the industry, but oh, I am having such an amazing time learning the industry and taking my context that I know, my experience from other operations and delivery, and be able to then massage it into new language, new ways of working, because ultimately, I want this leader to succeed. And along the way, while I bring my skill sets of getting organization and process so we can support the sales growth, the fact that I'm learning new things, I feel like, okay, then I'm going to have a new set of skills. But they also trust me, not because I know that industry, but I have their back and they know that I care about them and I'm also going to lift them in the process and give them peace of mind. So I love that. Now, another thing we talked about, and I think this is so powerful when we were getting acquainted again with each other a number of months back, was how you prepare for these roles. Often when you go into some of these new roles as part of your own personal development, you you set certain goals and objectives for you. I'd love you to talk about that because I think it's so important for our listeners as you Dip your toe into something that may be quite challenging you've never done before, ways and processes to position yourself for success. So I call it tools for your tool belt, right? The biggest mistake that early professionals make, whether they're fresh out of school or they're coming into an industry, is to ask themselves the question, what do I need to do to earn a promotion? What do I need to do to get the next title? That is the wrong question. It is never the right question. Because what that is saying is, when will I be good enough for someone else to recognize me? And that puts the onus of your job satisfaction, therefore your job performance in someone else's hands, and you are at someone else's mercy, and therefore you naturally, the human nature is not to go that extra mile. Seth Godin, famous author, uh, created Yo-Yo Dine, wrote Purple Cow, a whole bunch of things, was speaking at a mixed conference in New York on stage many, many years ago. And he, d- he said to the audience, he said, everyone in the audience, raise your hand as high as you can. And everyone raised their hands. He goes, now raise it two inches higher. And everyone could raise it two inches higher. And he said, well, I asked you to raise it as high as you can. Why did you have two more inches to raise it? 
And, and the answer is because when people feel like the bar is someone else's bar, they only have to raise their hand high enough. It's human nature. But when the bar is your own growth, you're more likely to actually raise it as high as you can. So to this day, every six months, I pick three tools for my tool belt that I want to learn, that I want to gain in my role. Now, they have to be something I can possibly gain, right? They're not things outrageous. They're not someone else's job. They're things that I can learn. And I choose to focus on learning those things. If my my tool set was to learn how to operate as a public company, that was one of my role, one of my tools that I wish to have at AppNexus. We didn't go public, but we were uh, we had five, you know, we were preparing our filings. So we actually started operating as if we were going public, including doing company-wide earnings calls just to practice them. And so I learned how to do that. And that tool allowed me today to be a COO of a public company, right? I didn't know how to sell ads, but we were launching an ad sales business, which was new to the, the, the company at AppNexus. They put me in charge of it. And I learned from the people who actually, right, Ulrich uh, Craig Morell in, in, in Europe and his team, Jeff Goldstein in the US and, and, and his team, like I learned from them how to do that. And that was a tool for my tool belt. And now I could come in and first CRO. And now we have an amazing CRO, as I mentioned before, Avi Zimak. And my job to support him is easier because I have that tool in my tool belt. And at the end of six months, I have a celebration. And that celebration is me going to my favorite restaurant with my wife. And we go and we celebrate the... I don't always call out what it is. Sometimes it's just a date, but in my head, it's a celebration of my striving for six months to, to get those tools, whether or not I've achieved them. If I've achieved them, I celebrate I've achieved it. If I didn't achieve it, I celebrate the process of getting closer. And then I decide my next three tools for the next six months. I, there's no, hey, I got this tool. Let me replace it in real time. Because I got this tool, now I focus on the other two. I got these two tools, now I focus on the other one. And at the end of the six months, I stop, I clean my slate, I celebrate the process, and I go in again and decide my next three tools. That is the path to career growth because that is totally in your control, allows you to celebrate your successes, which includes not achieving things is still a success. The act of striving is a success and allows you to lift your hand two inches higher from day one. Such a great story. And when I think about that, however, because again, everything's in your control, it's personal satisfaction. You're never going to get that satisfaction from external input unless it's a significant other that's there right there with you. But having built the tools in your toolbox, how has that process helped you and positioned you for perhaps future opportunity when you don't focus on the, the position or the title, but focus on your personal development? What's been the impact for you? That's a great question. I don't know how else to be. So, so it's a little hard, <laughs> right? To, to answer that, you know, for me, the role I'm in now, having been the, the jack of all trades and, and frankly, master of none goes with jack of all trades on purpose, right? Because you do it enough to learn how to do it. You don't focus and specialize to become the best at something. That path for me was a great path for COO. It may not be a great path for other roles. If you're a head of business intelligence, it's not a great role. It's not necessarily great to 
you know, try sales and biz dev and be an acting CFO. But if you're a COO, it absolutely prepares you like nothing else. And so, you know, I have several people in my company and outside my company who I mentor who are on paths or early in their days on paths to be a COO. I give them this tools, tool belt metaphor and structure. And I say, make sure that you're, you have a breadth of what you learn to get there, be it a, a COO, CEO, sort of C-suite leader in general. The more breadth you have, the more you're able to understand. And, the, and this ties back to communication because when you understand how people are thinking, that's where you bridge the gap. You know, when, when I was launching that international ad sales business I mentioned at AppNexus, it was really based in London. The core, London was sort of the core. The people were all over, but the core sort of geographic center was London. And I flew to London 19 times that first year in order to, to run that, oversee that business. And someone asked me in the US as we were doing a, a seminar, what's the biggest obstacle to doing business in the UK for a US company? And my answer was language barrier. And people looked at me like I had three heads. Don't we both speak English? Ah, that's what makes it worse. Like if I do business in France or Germany, our base language is different. So we assume business is done differently. But in the UK, business is very different than it is in the US. But because we speak the same language, it feels like it's the same and it's not. And that's where you get into trouble. So a lot of my time is spent finding people who think they're saying the same thing, but they have a different definition of the word they're using. And so I try and help that get through. And the breadth of knowledge that comes from building tools in your tool belt allows you to understand the context, does all come together, the context of the person across from you allows you to communicate in the way that they need to hear and then bring everything together. So that breadth is critical. So you bring up a really important point for my listeners is that it's not necessarily the ladder up, but it's going sideways as far as you can, because at the end of the day, when there's a downsizing, somebody leaves the company or what have you, and they look around the room for talent, hopefully they are looking inside for talent, you immediately become that go-to person because perhaps you did a project over here with another team and you have a little bit of exposure. And over time, by growing in that breadth, then naturally you gain all those experiences. They see your leadership style and then maybe you are pulled up. And I will say something about the language thing. It is, don't assume <laughs> English, everybody understands English because there are so many nuances and different ways for English. I remember doing training in Europe where English was not everybody's primary language. So it forced me to distill down my messages as simply, not dumb, but as simply as possible in English that they could translate at the same time before internalizing the new concept and then be able to apply. When you do that, even for English speakers, make sure in your communications, you're as concise as possible because you want to connect with them. You want to have conversation with them and ultimately influence. If they are befuddled, they can't figure out or apply what you're saying, then what's the use of trying to connect and convey <laughs> and try to you know, meet with them people? Language is very, very critical in how we get recognized, seen, and respected. So I have three other C's that I also use. You know, connect, convey, close is, is the three C's of active communication with an individual. But I also have a methodology three C's, which is clear, concise, complete. And most people only do two of those three. 
I am not so good at concise. I'm working on it. But clear and complete, I'm pretty good at. It's very rare to have someone who's great at all three. My weakness is concise. I can be verbose. I'm aware of that. But clear is something that I, I've figured out. And complete is why I'm not yet concise. Because I try and make sure that I give an entire concept and get it across. And to me, that methodology allows more people to understand if you're clear, concise, and complete. So you have had an amazing career journey, lots of successes, lots of lessons learned, and you have so many great insights. But I also am simply curious, you are a C-suite leader. I want to understand maybe now, what are the opportunities or challenges you are currently faced with, with having this significant responsibility and making sure you're watching the backs of everybody else? I mean, you're the middleware, you're the center of this organization, commuting up, down, and sideways. I'm curious about what are those opportunities or challenges, because that also helps me to understand if I meet another person like you, C-suite leader, how might I be able to be of service? What keeps you up at night? What keeps you going? What energizes you? I got a piece of advice a long time ago, and it's very true. Never take a job for a person because that person could leave, right? Never never take a job to work for someone in particular. Take a job because you love the role, love the company. It's a really great piece of advice that I've mostly ignored in my career, <laughs> right? And the reason for me, it's about find the job and the person so that you can survive without. But I've been really blessed to work for some amazing leaders over the years. I, you know, I worked for Greg Stewart and then Randall Rothenberg, who's an amazing thought leader at the IAB. I worked for Joe Apprendi, probably the single best sales leader, you know, this, this industry has ever seen as a CEO. I worked for Brian O'Kelly one of the greatest minds in advertising technology, brilliant, caring, passionate product leader and CEO. And now I work for Ross Levinson, a true leader in every sense of the word. And that's part of my job. I always say is that I get to spend a half an hour with Ross every single day, learning what's going on in his mind, telling him what's going on that I see so that when I speak, I can speak knowing where he wants the company, where he wants the company to go. And, and, and that is super important. The way that I'm able to do that is I make the complete and total commitment to hear. And that is something few people have. And I, and, and, right, what I mean by that is I am not thinking about what my next job is. I am not, and I haven't, by the way, for the last five jobs, what my next job will be has not been a thought that entered my head. What is the next company I will work for is not a thought that enters my head. I'm all here. And by being all here, I'm able to devote my full time and energy to here. And by having a great, having a great company, I can be all here on, I can see the fruits of the work that I do, and I can feel fulfilled by the fruits of that work, and by having someone who I respect, honor, and who can teach me so much, in this case, Ross Levinson, you know, who, is, who has taken the arena group from, frankly, the, the verge of bankruptcy when he took over 
to a successful, thriving company that uplisted to the New York Stock Exchange and and holds great brands. Uh, we we operate Sports Illustrated and run the Street.com and and Parade. We bought Parade Magazine recently, and there's certainly more to come. We we like to just a side note. If you've ever seen that TV show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, we like to do that with publishers, Extreme Makeover Publisher Edition. We go, we get sort of older, established brands that haven't yet found their way in the digital age, and we we acquire them and, and grow them. And, and that's what we do. And we couldn't do that without the leadership of Ross. And so to me, the challenge isn't the next job. The challenge isn't how do I grow my career? The challenge is how do I drive this so I don't need a next job? So I can be here and, and, you know, God forbid something happens in the future and Ross decides I'm not the one to continue supporting him because I told Ross I'm, I'm here to support him until he kicks me the heck out. Then I'll find something else, but I'm here all in. I don't even contemplate the next thing. And the people who think that way are the people who you see raising their hand that two inches higher. It's the people who you see fully engaged. And so when people say, ah, you always have to think about your next job, gosh, please don't listen to those people. What you said, and this is why, again, hopefully people can hear me smiling, (laughs) was about that all here. And I recently had an interview. Again, I look for all kinds of work, consulting work, contract work, anything to keep the doors open and doing the purposeful work. And one of the questions that they asked me was, well, after this contract is done, are you going to stick around? You know, And in this day and age where people move around a lot, I didn't actually answer their direct question. I said, you have a mission. You have something you need to achieve. Let me focus on this mission-critical contract work, and let's see what happens at the end. I want to give you my best time, my best skills now, and worry about the rest later. <laughs> I, I consulted for, for nearly a year to some wonderful companies, Newsweek, Media Math, a whole bunch of others, LiveRamp, and I loved the work, but I hated it. And the reason I hated consulting is because I knew there was an end date. And I I had a set of hours, right? Like I said, I worked for Media Math 15 hours a week, but I wound up working 30 hours because I just care too much. And as a consultant, like I couldn't bill the other 15 hours. I was just throwing them in for free. And, <laughs> and so I don't make a good consultant because I care too much. And I'm not saying you don't care. Of course you, you do. <laughs> but to me, I, I care too much to give my all to someplace and be fully present that just the thought of, but there's something else or there may have to be something after that distracts me. That That's just me personally. And because it distracts me, I don't give my best. And, you know, someone at, at my company, they're, they're sick of me saying this, but I still say it all the time. I do not seek perfection. I seek excellence. When someone says, well, we did this, but it didn't achieve what we want, I ask them, was it excellent? And they're like, you know, they know what I mean. I define excellence as doing your best in the time allotted with the resources at your disposal. Once again, a great learning I got from an amazing leadership training. Doing your best with the resources at your disposal in the time allotted, that defines excellence. We can't be perfect. We're not perfect human beings. But if we are excellent, we should be able to sleep at night going, you know, we're good. And 
resources at your disposal means if I have the resources, I can ask for them, I can try for them, but if I can't get them, I can't get them. What can I do? If I have a certain deadline, that's the time allotted. It's the doing your best part that's hard. That's the part you have to not lie to yourself about. And it's hard to do your best when you're thinking about the next thing because your part of your mind is in the next moment. And so by being fully here and fully present at all times, I can honestly say that when I do something, I do excellent work by the definition of excellence. Beautifully said. This interview has been so full of amazing insights. I asked people to listen to it again because you just kept peppering in so many great inspiration for people to learn from your past, your experience, your leadership skills. Thank you. I would love to bring this to a close, but any last closing thoughts for our listeners? Be yourself fully, unabashedly who you are. I am who I am in all places. I'm not a different person at work than I am at home. My daughter is in my industry and she was asked once, we were at a networking event, And she was asked once, what's it like watching your father network? She had the most amazing insight. She said, what do you mean? This is just who he is at home. At Father's Day, he goes from group to group. He hugs them, says, how you doing? Has a little story with them. Here's what they're doing. Make sure they know that he cares about them and that that they feel loved. And then he goes, I'll be right back. I see someone else I have to go talk to. And he goes to the next group. And he talks to them. He never comes back to the first group. He just works the room, just like he works the room here. And it's it's true. That's just who I am, right? I want to see everybody and communicate with everybody. And I'm true to who I am. And and that has come forth in, you know, my four no longer children, now young adults, who are all being super successful in their industries at, at their own because they they see being authentically who they are is what they need to be. So that's my advice to everyone. You know, yes, communicate to be, you know, so that you're understood, set your context, inspire and inspect, get tools for your tool belt, sure. But do it in your way, not in my way. Do it in your way. Beautifully said, Andrew. I do wish you continued success with the Arena Group. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much and wish you well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.